0: And currently we're working our way verse-by-verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Here we are, folks. We're going to be moving along, doing our uh, verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis And uh, we've looked at verse one, we've completed verse one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We're gonna be moving on to verse two today, but before we do that, I do wanna point something out and have a little fun here. All right, uh, basically verse one that we've looked at, that first phrase, in the beginning, that's a time phrase, right? In, In the sense that it tells you something before other stuff, right? If that's the beginning, it's before all the other stuff. So, the in the beginning time phrase, I've gone through my Bible and just kind of off the cuff looked for a few other places because I knew of a few other verses that discussed things that seemed to coincide somewhat with this time phrase, that seemed to coincide with this beginning time period, if you will. So I want to start off by looking at some of those. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. It was just some of the ones that came to my mind and other ones that those led me to. But it's not exhaustive by any means. Do your own study. I'm sure it'd be a very rewarding study to do a study on your own looking for these as well. But one of the ones that jumped out at me was John chapter 17, verse 5. John chapter 17, verse 5. And as you're turning to John 17, verse 5, I want to call these verses timing of creation in relation to other significant things. All right? The timing of creation. So in verse 1, we have a timing, right, in the beginning. That timing or that phrase in relation to other significant things that we might find spoken about in the Bible. So John 17, 5 says this, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was who's speaking there? It's Jesus. In fact, it's Jesus praying. He's praying to his heavenly father and in his prayer to his heavenly father, that's what he says in verse five. And now, oh father, glorify me together with yourself. That's kind of a chutzpah prayer right there, isn't it? I mean, unless you're the son of God, that's kind of a crazy prayer. Glorify me together with yourself. That's not a prayer that would sound natural coming from my lips. Unless you understand the relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, God Almighty. So when it says, when he calls him, O Father, what does that suggest? That Jesus is the son. So here we've got God the Son praying to God the Father. Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus, he's saying right here in his prayer to the Father that he existed back then with the Father before the world was. He not only existed back then with the Father, he existed with the Father and shared the glory of the Father. Back in time, back, I would say, coinciding somewhat with this creation account, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, All right, he saying way back then, before the world was, I had glory with you. I was with you and I had glory with you, right? So Jesus pre-existing his earthly state. God the Son pre-existing his birth in Nazareth, all right? So I thought that was pretty cool, because that kind of ties it in a little bit before the world was. That sounds like it would fit with an in-the-beginning phrase of Genesis 1-1. How about this other one? Same chapter, John chapter 17, verse 24. No surprise, it's still Jesus here, and he's still praying. John 17, 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, speaking of the disciples there, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father loved Jesus, loved Yeshua, loved God the Son before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. Let's jump over to some of Paul's writings over in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Ephesians is a letter written to the believers, to the followers, to the Christians in the church at Ephesus. All right? In the assembly at Ephesus. And in this letter, in chapter 1, the fourth verse of the letter, very much near the beginning of the letter, Paul says this. He says, Just as he chose us, Now, who's the he? We should pause there for a moment. It's actually found in verse 3. You find out who the he is. The he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the context being in verse 3, the he for verse 4 is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as found in verse 3. So Paul's saying, just as he, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us. Who is Paul talking about there? Well, he's including himself in a group. He's including himself in the group shared by or identified as true believers or followers in God, and specifically in God's Son, in Jesus. Just as he, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us, the true followers of God and Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It sounds like from that verse that God knew in advance and chose in advance the people who were going to become the true believers and followers of God and specifically his son. So it sounds like he's speaking with the us specifically about the believers in Ephesus, but generally of all believers. That would include you and I, folks. You and I could be included in the words there, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You are not an accident. If I I haven't said that yet, I need to say it now. I don't know what your situation was. I don't know what brought about your birth. Maybe your parents wanted you badly and you were anticipated for a long time off. Or maybe you were like, oh, well, my parents weren't really planning to get pregnant. And nine months later, there I was. I read God's Word, and what do I find? I find that in advance, God knew you. That in advance, He chose you before the foundation of the world. Are you a follower of God? He chose you. Are you a true believer in His Son? Then He chose you before the foundation of the world. Let's look at another letter Another letter by Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the church or in the assembly in Thessalonica. And what does he say there? In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Who's the you? It's the believers in the church, right? There in Thessalonica. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, Chose you for salvation. God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Are you a follower of God? Are you a believer in His Son? If so, it sounds like that God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What is sanctification? Sanctification is becoming more like God. There's a study that we gave that has to do with, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved, right? There's a past tense, have been saved. There's a present tense, I am being saved. And there's a future tense, I will be saved. In the past, the past tense, I have been saved from what? I have been saved from the penalty of sin. In the present tense, I am being saved from the power of sin. And in the future tense, I will be saved from the presence of sin. And the past tense, I have been saved, that's justification. In the present tense... I am being saved, that's sanctification. And in the future tense, I will be saved, is glorification. Why do I lay that all out for you? And In fact, it's not even in my notes. It's from a study that we did a long time ago. The reason I'm laying it out is because of that word sanctification. Sanctification is what we're going through right now in this life. If we've given our life to God, we are going through the process of sanctification. Already accomplished in our life is justification. What we look forward to is glorification. But what we're going through now is sanctification. What does that look like? It looks like becoming more like Christ. That's what somebody should see in our life. That we are becoming more like Christ as we live out this life as a follower and a believer in God. Sanctification, and what was the other part? And belief in the truth. There's lots of lies out there. The devil would have you to believe anything but the truth. It's sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So according to that verse, what's one of the things that we see having to do with the timing of creation relationship to other significant things? Well, here God chose us. From the beginning, God chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. How is it that God could have chosen you so far in advance? It's because of his foreknowledge. God knows the beginning from the end. We look at this life that we live as one day after another, as one week after another, one month after another, one year after another, one decade after another, and on and on it goes. We look at it as a continuum of one thing after another. But to God, it's all the same. He is just involved and alive and aware of what's going on a hundred years from now as he was a hundred years ago. He's actually already seen the future and can write about it as if it's in the past. Because to God, he he lives outside of time. We live inside of time. And living inside of time, we've got to go through this process one after the other. God's outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. It's called foreknowledge. He sees it all. And he can see so far in advance that he's able to choose you for salvation before you're ever born. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 25 Jesus speaking, Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus speaking says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. That sounds like it falls in line with the timing of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. From the foundation of the world, what? The kingdom prepared for you. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. What's the context here? The context here is Jesus is talking about the end of the age, when there's going to be a judgment And at the time of that judgment, there are going to be some that are going to be on his right and some on his left. And he's going to pronounce judgment. And to some of them, he's going to say, those for whom the kingdom is prepared, he's going to say, you are the ones who fed the hungry believers. You are the ones that gave drink to the thirsty followers of God. You are the ones that showed hospitality to strangers who were disciples You are the ones that provided clothes for the needy followers of God. You're the ones that visited the sick believers. You're the ones that visited those disciples in prison. And he says, just as you've done it for the least of those, you did it as a ministry. And I saw that. And what I saw when you were doing that as a ministry, I took it personally in the sense that I took it as if you were doing that as unto me. And so he says to that group, the people in that group, he says, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you identify with that group? Hopefully, you do, folks. Hopefully, we do. If you're a follower of God, if you're a true believer, you should be taking care of the needs of other followers of God and true believers. People that are in need in the sense that they're hungry, followers of God that are thirsty. Believers in God who are homeless. People that are in need and you provide them clothes. Followers of God that are sick. Followers of God and believers that are in prison. Are you visiting them? If so, you're in that category. And the category is what? The ones that are rewarded by the Father. With the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. If you're identified in that group, this kingdom is already prepared for you. It says prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He saw in advance and prepared in advance. And that advanced preparation was from the foundation of the world. A kingdom prepared. Let's look at another place. We've actually already been in Ephesians. Let's go back. Let's talk about Ephesians again. We're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 3 this time. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9 has this strange phrase or this strange verse. It says this, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. So why did I pick this verse? Well, it's that time statement, of course, right? Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. Something from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. From Paul's perspective, right, he's writing to the believers. He's writing to the believers in the church in Ephesus. And we have it immortalized here as the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians. And he says in verse 9 that there was some mystery hidden from the beginning of the ages. What is the mystery that was hidden from the beginning of the ages? You have to go back to verse 6 to find out. Here's what it says in verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. What does that mean, Jeff? Here's what that means. As you read through your Bible, as you read through the Old Testament, as you read through the Tanakh, you find this unmistakable message that God has a particular peculiar people. It's the Jews and everything he's doing, he's doing with his eye on the Jews, mindful of how everything's going to turn out for the Jews. And he orchestrates these magnificent miracles and he performs his perfect plan through these people, the Jews. And so by the time you get to the new covenant, the new Testament, you would be thinking, well, if I'm not a Jew, am I excluded? Because it seems that God only cares about Jews. That's all he seems to have been doing all along. If you've missed the little clues all along, you could have come to that conclusion. You might come to the conclusion that, well, I'm not a Jew, so this is not a God for me because he doesn't care about me because I'm not a Jew. Paul says to the church in Ephesus here in this chapter that no, this was a mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. The mystery that was hidden was what? That it's not just an exclusive Jews-only God. He is the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac, he is the God of Jacob, but he's the creator of the world, and as creator of the world, he is God of the world, and that's not just the God of the Jews, it's the God of the Jews and everybody else as well. That's Paul's message, that the Gentiles, as a mystery, were included in God's plan, and it was a mystery that was hidden. From the beginning of the ages. And now by the time he's writing, he's explaining that it's now revealed. I'm getting excited, folks. I mean, were it not for the teaching of that verse, I'd be excluded. Because as far as I know, I'm not Jewish. All right? I would be out. But according to this good news, I get to participate in this relationship with this mighty God. There are no other gods, and he cares enough To include me as somebody that he would say, you're invited? That makes me excited, folks. Looking at the next one, let's go to 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. In verse 20, we're going to look at particular. in verse 20, it says this, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. All right, so there's that time phrase. That's the reason I picked this verse, foundation of the world before the foundation of the world, foreordained before the foundation of the world. What what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you look at the context of those verses, 17 through 21, it becomes more clear. You can find it in verse 19. Who's he talking about? Verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He indeed was foreordained. Who was foreordained before the foundation of the world? It was Christ. Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Foreordained as what? As the Lamb, without blemish and without spot. That reference to a Lamb without blemish and without spot, that's a reference to a suitable sacrifice. It's saying that before the foundation of the world, that Jesus, Yeshua, was foreordained to serve as our sacrificial lamb. And because he had no blemish and no spot, he served as a perfect substitute sacrifice in our place. That was designed before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve were even created, much less sinned, before you and I were born and sinned. Our sin warrants death. And God provided a remedy for us before we were born, before we sinned, before Adam was created, before their sin. God had already prepared, according to this verse, before the foundation of the world, the solution to the sin problem that would otherwise separate us from God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Now, you know that I... Typically, I've been reading through the New King James Version. I'm not saying that version is better than any others. It's just the one that I've been using since I was a teenager. But as I'm looking here at the New King James Version, I also see in another version, the ESV, it says foreknown. That he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The word that's translated there, foreordained, can also be translated as foreknown. So that does pose a question. Is this that he was chosen or commissioned in advance, as foreordained would suggest? Or was he just foreknown in that, hey, Jesus is hanging out with God the Father back before the foundation of the world. Which of those is it? Because it could be translated either way. Was the big plan laid for him to be the sacrificial lamb in advance? Or was it just that he knew the Father in advance? I'd say, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. There's another passage I want to take us to. Revelation 13, 8 is the other passage I want to take us to. I want to provide a little bit of context, though, because this can be a little confusing unless we look at the context. Here in this chapter, we're talking about a beast. We're talking about a dragon. It says here in verse 4, who is like the beast, who is able to make war against him. And then jumping down to verse 8, then, the reason I wanted to give that background is because it's going to say, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Worship who? It's the beast. All right. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, will worship the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It sounds like the plan for Jesus, Yeshua, to be our sacrificial lamb, to be slain in our place, it sounds like that was a plan that was orchestrated from the foundation of the world that he was to come as a sacrificial lamb and to die in our place, to be slain as a lamb would be slain as a sacrifice. It sounds like then that that sheds light on the first Peter passage. Could it be foreknown or foreordained? Well, it could be either. And it is certainly both. But the foreordained sounds like it's more powerful in the sense that it's a plan or a commissioning that happened in advance or was determined beforehand. It was predetermined that Jesus would come as our sacrificial lamb. It was determined beforehand that Yeshua would die in our place. While we're in the book of Revelation, there's two other places I want to draw our attention to. And these verses are kind of similar in their phrases. that have to do with the language that we saw in Genesis 1-1 regarding the timing of creation. Revelation 1-8 is one of them. The other one's going to be at the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation 1-8 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who's speaking here? It turns out to be Jesus. It turns out to be Yeshua. Chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then jumping all the way back to Revelation twenty-two, thirteen, 13, saying very similarly, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Why did I choose these two verses? Because of the mention of the beginning, the phrase the beginning. There are certainly other verses. These are just, like I said, a non-exhaustive list, something to give you, something to think about as to other things that perhaps were going on somewhat in similar timing as the Genesis 1-1 passage that we've already looked at. By the way, before we get too far, though, away from this, I do want to make one mention here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelation 22-13. In English, it says in both of those passages, I am the Alpha and the Omega, but they didn't speak English back then. Alright. It was originally written in Greek. In Greek, Alpha and Omega, what is Alpha and Omega? Well, what is an Alpha? What is an Omega? It's actually the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Why would we have that in our Bible? Because the New Testament was written in Greek. So in the Greek, I am the Alpha means I'm the first. I am the Omega, that means I'm the last. I'm the first letter, I'm the last letter. An interesting thing is, what was the language of the Tanakh? The Old Testament. It was Hebrew. What would this verse have said in Hebrew? It would say, I am the Aleph and the Tav. The first and last letter, the Aleph and Tav. The reason I bring that up is because there's another study that we did where that's very exciting. I am the Aleph and the Tav. All right, moving on. So we finished just a small sample of passages that have to do with other things that seem to coincide with the timing of creation, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth kind of timing. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to revel in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the richness that we find in your word. We thank you, Lord, for communicating to us in a way that we can understand. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that your spirit would ignite and remind us of those things that we heard today that you want us to dwell upon. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meditate on your word. And you've given us the capacity and the ability to do that. And we pray that your spirit would conjure that inside of us, causing us to ruminate or to meditate on your word. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your patience and with your love. And we thank you, Lord, for your foreknowledge. And we thank you, Lord, for choosing us before the foundation of the world. We thank you for preparing a place for us. We thank you, Lord, for setting in motion the plan prepared in advance that your son would come and die for us in our place, solving our sin problem for which we had no solution. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.